Hello, and welcome to Marketing Week Explores. This month, we'll be discussing how brands are failing to get even the basics of customer insight right and ask, are the ASA's new gender rules a step too far? I'm Molly Fleming, a reporter at Marketing Week, and welcome. You'll notice we're doing things a bit differently. We've got a new structure with the same investigations, plus more informal chats, which will help we'll give you an insight into the MW newsroom and make our podcast even more engaging. First up, I'm here with Charlotte Rogers, a senior writer at Marketing Week. Something that's been a big talking point here this month is Charlotte's piece, where she explored why brands are failing to get the most from customer insight. First off, what are the key things marketers are getting wrong? I think investment in customer um, research is very much on the decline. So marketers are not really addressing the basics, never mind testing new techniques like behavioural science um, and kind of triangulating and trying to get as many different sources of of insight as possible, um, which means they sort of miss out on what consumers actually want. Why do you think they're not investing? I think they're under a lot of pressure, uh, time pressure. They've got a lot of other um, avenues where their resources could be going. Um, and sometimes customer insight is just that thing that slips off the agenda. Mm. Um, I was really ex- interested in that example that Richard Shotton gave in your piece. Can you explain for those who haven't read it how that relates to customer insight? Yeah, so Richard Shotton is the founder of behavioural science consultancy Astraten and formerly head of behavioural science at Manning Gottlieb OMD. Um, and he talks about this study from 1997, which was from the University of Leicester and a professor called Dr. Adrian North. And he sort of set up in a supermarket and he alternated the music in the wine aisle. So um, over a two week period. So at some points, the music was ostensibly French. Other times it was ostensibly German. The experiment found that when French music was played, 77% of the wine sold that was either French or German was French. And then when the German music played, 73% of wine sold was German. However, when North stopped people outside the supermarket and asked them why they bought the wine they had, only 2% actually referenced the music at all. Uh, And even when pressed, 86% flat out denied they'd heard any music at all. So this comes to the kind of problem of motivations, that people don't really understand their own motivations. And we have a tendency to what's called confabulate. So Shotton talks about the work of psychologist Timothy Wilson. um, And he found out that people, because we don't understand our own motivations, we sort of opt for plausible explanations for our behaviours, which might not actually be the right <laughs> answers at all. Um, and someone else who was really interesting that I spoke to was Ogilvy Vice Chairman Rory Sutherland. And he talked about how, because we don't know our own motivations, we come up with post-rationalised reasons why we've done something, mm. which are designed to make us look good or make us look sensible, but it's not necessarily the truth. Um, and he talks about marketers needing to understand the real why My colleague Chris Graves in New York always refers to the real why. There are lots of official whys as to why we do things, and there are lots of post-rationalised whys, but there's also a real why. And it's only if you understand the consumer's real why um, that you can possibly either intervene successfully in the market or actually just as valuable decide that certain certain problems are insoluble. I think that's really interesting and it kind of leads on to something else I found interesting in your piece, which was about the idea of kind of bias and pretending you don't have any biases. And I know someone you spoke to, I think it was Jonathan Stringfield, said you should confront bias rather than pretend it doesn't exist. Can you talk us a bit more through that? Yeah, absolutely. So he says that it's impossible for marketers to go into research without having a bias, but you should acknowledge that up front um, and not let it kind of take you down the wrong direction. So you should be sure, kind of understand what your biases are before you start um, and then make sure that that doesn't influence the information you're trying to collect.
it's less about, you know, trying to be, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, taking the, the higher saintly road of, of going in without biases, but instead being confronting your biases head on and making sure that they're not influencing the, the information that you're either extracting or that um, you're, you're endeavoring to collect. And I'm curious, you know, you spoke to a lot of people about different methods. Was there any clear method that was better than others? No. So it actually came out that you've got to have a mixture of everything. Um, so Helen Edwards, Dr. Helen Edwards, branding consultant and director at Passion Brand, she talks about triangulating multiple methods and not relying on a single um, method. So she says behavioural science is excellent, but that cannot be seen as a single data point. It should be triangulated against focus groups, ethnography, quantitative research, questionnaires, experiments. Um, so you can get a sense of what what consumers are doing in real time, um, but you've got to have multiple methods. Also ensuring there was a cultural context was also key, wasn't it? Yeah, so there's a study of semiotics, which is um, social science, which takes into account the culture in which people are living in. And it talks about Alex Gordon, the CEO of uh, Semiotics and Cultural Insights Agency, Sign Salad. He talks about the point that the reasons people seek out brands don't change but the speed at which they want those brands to respond to culture does change. So we've always wanted fast delivery, but now for us, fast means next day, not next week. And brands that can't keep up with this will appear at odds with broader culture and consumers won't choose them. Mm. And do you have any advice to marketers who want to ensure that they get it right and have great customer insight? Yeah, I'd say don't attack the research. Um, that's something that came out of the people I was speaking to, especially Jonathan Stringfield. He was saying, you know, consumer research is not designed to tell marketers what they want to hear. And if you're heavily invested in discovering something and the results show that people don't like X and you want them to like X, you shouldn't attack the research. You should work really hard to find out why they don't like it. Um, if you come in with a strong hypothesis and you find the opposite, actually you could be on the precipice of an innovation. So you should, um, yeah, you should welcome kind of different results than what you expect and also you should empower the teams reporting back to you to tell you what you don't want to hear so that they're impartial you don't want to incentivize your agency to just tell you what you want to hear I think that's really interesting I feel like a lot of people we speak to it's not only about having the right I don't know diversity or customer insight but it's also about speaking up and making sure that you've created an environment where people can tell you when you're wrong 100% I wanted to also ask um when I was reading your piece, it seemed that everyone you spoke to had some quite harsh words for marketers. And I was wondering, do you think that's fair? Yes. <laughs> um, I think what, what Rory Sullivan was saying is that the essential quest of marketing is to find out you know, what really drives people. And if you're not investing time and money in doing that, then there's a problem. Um, and also that you should resist the urge for a simple, single solution. It seemed a lot of people were saying that marketers just want something to fit. Um, because they haven't got time, they're under a lot of pressure. But actually, you know, having contradictory answers is a positive thing. Was there anything you learned on this article that surprised you when you were writing the piece? Yeah, I was surprised by how little we actually understand about our own motivations. So for me, you know, you think you know why you're buying something, why you're doing something, but actually we don't really know. Um, and when we're asked, we often kind of make up a reason that makes us sound good. So that was really interesting and how difficult that must be actually from a marketer's perspective. What do Philadelphia Cheese and Volkswagen have in common? Both have fallen foul of ASA's new gender guidelines this month. So I've got Ellen Hammett, a senior reporter at Marketing Week, um, here to explain what's going on. So Ellen, why is this significant? So Philadelphia and VW are the first brands um, to have their ads banned by the ASA, which is the UK's ad regulator, under its new gender stereotyping rules, which came into effect in June. 
The new rules ban the depiction of men and women engaged in gender stereotypical activities, which is meant to help stop limiting how people see themselves and how others see them and the life decisions they take. That was a quote from the ASA. Uh, but this has, this has caused some controversy and um, ruffled some feathers, not just in the media industry, actually, but also the, the general public has had quite a lot to say about mm. the decision to ban these ads and whether they are um, harmful or offensive, as the ASA ruled that they were, whether the ASA has gone too far and, quote, taken on the role of the morality police which some people say it has. <laughs> and so for anyone who hasn't watched these adverts, can you give a brief overview of what they are? So the Philadelphia ad is basically two dads who take their babies to a cafe um, and one of them sits their baby on a conveyor belt and it ends up um, going around this conveyor belt while he eats a bagel with Philadelphia on. Um, and when he realises the baby's halfway across the cafe, whatever it is, he says let's not tell mum. So <laughs> 128 people complained about this ad. Um, they said that it perpetuates the stereotype that men are ineffective child carers and a bit useless when it comes to looking after children. Uh, the VW ad, slightly less obvious um, in terms of, it's a montage of people achieving great things. And it shows, you know, a man scaling um, a big cliff face, another man who is a para-athlete uh, doing a long jump, two male astronauts doing astronauty things in space. And then the last two seconds, it cuts to a woman who sat on a park bench with a book and a pram, and then the VW goes past. Uh, so this one is the issue of this is that all these men are in these active, adventurous roles, and then you've got a tiny clip at the end and there's a woman in that stereotypical child caring role being very passive with her book. I obviously know we've got a lot of opinions but before we get into that how has kind of the general industry reacted? So it has it's been divisive and I would say more so uh, people have disagreed with the ASA's rulings. Um, so the IPA described the rulings as surprising and concerning, while ISBA, which is the body that represents brands, um, says the ruling is likely to cause confusion over whether um, ads are able to feature people going about their daily lives. And also Clearcast, which is the body, uh, the regulatory body for TV, which vets ads before they go on TV, and in this instance approved both these ads, um, says it was naturally disappointed which leads on to a second issue of Clearcast is approving the ads mm. before they go on TV and then the ASA bans them. Does that mean the ASA is undermining Clearcast's role as a regulatory body? There seems to be um, a disconnect between mm. all, these, all these industry players. And we mentioned that it's kind of like made national headlines and it's definitely something we've been talking about in the newsroom. Mm. So I guess kind of Charlotte and Ellen, what are your opinions? Well, I'm pro. <laughs> I think that, especially with the Philadelphia ad, um, I think that it is damaging if you want more men to take parental leave and you want them to take uh, extended uh, paternity leave. Um, 
And to close the gender pay gap, you know, if we're showing men basically inept um, looking after their children and, and just not doing a good job of it, could that put men off doing it and reinforce those stereotypes that it's just something that women do? That's a problem. Mm. And that's something you've written about quite a lot as well. Like You've spoken to a lot of dads about parental leave. Yeah, I've done a lot of work recently about um, marketers taking extended parental leave, sometimes up to six months. And what a lot of those dads said to me is they were often the only dad in the class, you know, taking their children and, and they felt like an anomaly. Um, you know, men shouldn't feel like that. We should be encouraging men to have parental leave so we can level the playing field for women. Mm. Um, are ads like this just going to be harmful? You know, they could they could prevent people doing it. Um, what do you think? I I mean, the ads undoubtedly uh, portray stereotypes on various degrees of the spectrum, and I do think that the the useless dads um, who can't look after children is is lazy. Um, and the VW also, especially lazy, just showing men in all these active roles. Um, I guess if I was going to play devil's advocate, I would say, well, they convey stereotypes. Are they harmful? I think the ASA's definition of what causes harm is probably in need of a rethink. And in terms of the ASA rule that they both caused widespread offence, because it's interesting because I, when I saw it, I was so with you, Charlotte. Like, I thought, God, this is really offensive. It's lazy. It's, you know, I just don't want to see it on my screen. Like, kids growing up, we're going to watch this. But then, talking to you just before the podcast, Ellen, I kind of was slightly swayed. Like, I, I think there was a part of me that was like, it's lazy advertising, but should lazy advertising be banned? I think... If listeners go and watch them, I think the VW one is a slightly more murky waters. Yeah, and and also think about it. So the VW ad had three complaints and the Philadelphia one had 128. So should the ASA, should there be a number in which, you know, the ASA just dismisses it? It only has, you know, three complaints to the ASA mm. just say, right, we're not going to investigate it because it's only been three people. And then what makes this especially confusing, actually, is in the same way the ASA um, allowed a, an ad from Buxton Water, which had five complaints. And it was quite similar to the VW one in that uh, people complained that it showed a woman who was valid answer in a stereotypically female um, position whilst um, next to male rowers and male drummer, which they argued was stereotypically mm. male um, activities. The ASA said that was fine because all of them were equally demanding mm. and showed them doing you know, equally challenging things, which is fair enough, and I agree. But then should it have taken a decision to ban the VW one as well? Well, I kind of think, I mean, sitting, reading a book next to a pram is not the same as ballet dancing, so I guess mm. it's, that's kind of different. I feel like we do, we are in a bit of a bubble, so I'm curious, what do you think general consumers think? General consumers, well, <laughs> from my trawling of Twitter, which I like to do when, when these sorts of things happen, because like you say, we are in this bubble, um, uh, some, <laughs> I think my favourite one was absolutely ridiculous, control state dictated by the elite. <laughs> um, someone else... <laughs> Classic Twitter. Someone else wrote Ministry of Truth, hashtag 1984. Um, someone else called the ASA absolute nutters, 
<laughs> and uh, there were just various other tweets calling people that complained about the ad snowflakes, etc., etc. Accused the ad industry of having no real understanding of people outside of the ad industry, which I think is problematic and it is it, it does happen. So, from what I can tell, the general public are less bothered than the media industry seems to to make out. And also, interestingly, um, System One, which is a, um, a market research firm, which looks into the emotional response that ads get um, and the likelihood of whether it's going to impact somebody's long-term view of the brand or likelihood to purchase. Uh, and the Philadelphia ad scored 3.4 stars out of five, which is high and also the highest score Philadelphia's had in two years. So people liked the ad, they engaged with it um, positively, which then makes you think, maybe people, you know, quite like the bumbling dad stereotype Mm. and it resonates on some level. Maybe you need to show bumbling mums. Maybe equality is just everyone being a slightly... Bumbling mums, yeah. (laughs) Bad parent. And dad's on a bench with a book, looking after a baby. Charlotte, you just violently shook your head there. Oh, literally. Well, all I'm thinking is that the ASA have probably done Philadelphia a massive favour because talk about the press coverage they've had and people coming out batting for them. He probably won't have even taken any notice of this ad. He probably don't even buy Philadelphia. They just want to have a view on it. And so, look, people love to have a view, especially on Twitter. Yeah. I'm scrolling for ages. <laughs> I also think if we showed a mum putting a baby on a, on a carousel and leaving it, you know, people might be quite critical of a mother for doing that. Whereas mm. if a dad does it, it's just a joke. It's funny, isn't it? Because it's what dad does. Another concern that uh, people have had in the industry is that the ASA taking on this role um, with its big hammer is that it's going to stifle creativity in the long run. And also the marketers and creatives are going to be spending more time and resource um, thinking about, you know, and worrying about how to portray people in ads. Um, I've seen some people asking if it's going to be, you know, just waste time in the end. What do you think? See, I think that's a good thing. I think if you're thinking longer and you're thinking harder about stereotypes, that's what you should be doing in the first place. I mean, God, if I had a penny for every time someone talks about purpose, about making brave advertising, and it's like, well, that should be your job anyway. You should be pushing those boundaries in a positive way. Absolutely. I think if it challenges people to make better work, then I'm all for it. And I think the ASA is there to hold the industry to account, create better work. I mean, it's not just there to keep in you know, in, in check with, like, public taste. I think if something, you know, for the greater good, if something could cause harm, and, you know, sometimes we don't realise something's a stereotype until, you know, it's so deeply ingrained in society. Um, and I just personally think that, um, you know, showing dads absolutely nailing it would be so much more positive than showing them failing it. On this, just this subject, what are your kind of... Right or wrong? ASA, right or wrong? Right. Right or wrong, Ellen? Um, oh, I think I'm on the fence with this one, and I think you can you can see it from either way. Um, right, because it's the ASA's job to you know investigate complaints, and also it needed to set this benchmark. Um, now the new rules have come into place, and now this gives brands something to to look at um, in terms of creative. Um, wrong because oh, I. 
I worry that it trivialises the ASA's role in advertising um, by it ruling that these ads were harmful and caused widespread offence. And also, it's clear that there's a bit of now there's a bit of friction in the industry between all these bodies. Um, it, questions over whether it's undermined the role of Clearcast. I just think I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done behind the scenes, um, rethinking of definitions. I'm still not really sure where the line is. I think there are some obvious cases of harmful stereotypes, and then some very unobvious, subtle cases. So. I'm going to go with right, and I'm going to counter your point and say that rather than trivialising the ASA, it is putting the importance of casual sexism on everyone's radar. Lastly, as part of the new podcast format, I'm going to ask you two key questions for our listeners. Firstly, what's your key takeaway from today's podcast? And secondly, what will you be watching closely in the coming weeks? My key takeaway is that actually marketers need to really focus on customer insight and making sure they have as many data points as possible. And also that they observe customers when they can, because when you ask someone why you do something, you give a reason, but you really don't know why. And actually, if you watch people and the way that they behave, you get a sense of all those kind of unconscious things that we're doing that make up customer behaviour. So that's my key takeaway. My key takeaway is that I think the... ASA and regulation and guidelines around um, advertising, in particular gender stereotypes and advertising, uh, needs some work. Um, I think there needs to be some discussions to be had at the ASA and between bodies to make sure that it's in line with um, modern society and in touch with you know the wider public, not just in this media bubble. My key takeaway is going to try or attempt to combine the two of you. I think, Charlotte, in your piece and what you've been talking about, about bias and about not just searching for an answer that you want already. And my key takeaway from Ellen's is to ignore my bias and that actually a lot of people like that Philadelphia ad. So I should ignore my bias and try harder to look at what the real world is talking about rather than my Twitter feed. And lastly, what are you guys going to be looking for in the coming months, whether that's key trends or issues in the marketing industry? What should, what are you going to be looking out for and what should our listeners be looking out for? I'm excited to see what brands do around the Rugby World Cup in Japan, um, see if they do anything interesting or different. I know Guinness have recently released a campaign, they're not a sponsor, um, but kind of um, t- telling the story of a Japanese team in the 1980s, an all-female team of rugby players that really um, kind of cross boundaries. Um, so I want to see if brands do something interesting around such a big sporting event. This week, so it's, cut, it's hit the headlines for all the wrong reasons, Amazon's just introduced a range of plastic packaging that can't be recycled. And also accused of paying employees slash bots, we're not sure, but, um, to lie about warehouse working conditions on Twitter. Amazon is the world's most valuable brand. Mm. I know that because I wrote the Global Brands rankings. <laughs> and I just wonder, you know, it's doing all these things which don't align with the general, the general um, way that society is going terms of sustainability and fair working conditions and yet it's still this huge brand and people are still ordering from it so I'm just going to be keeping an eye on on Amazon um see what else is up to those two are very interesting mine is much more straight down the line 
I cover FMCG, so I am just waiting for the announcement of the next Unilever CMO. <laughs> I have been rechecking my inbox constantly. Um, Keith Weed left in May, and they still not announced who the next one is. Alan Jope, the new CEO, said it's going to be a CMO plus plus. So it's going to be a CMO with lots of other things, and um, I just really want to know who it is. Well, they have some jazzy shirts to fill. And that just leaves me to finish. We hope you've enjoyed the Marketing Week Explores and our new format. We're keen to hear your opinions, so please tweet us at Marketing Week Ed. And as ever, if you want to read the content we've been discussing or get more of the best marketing news and insight, go to our website, marketingweek.com. You can subscribe to our podcast or our other podcast, Marketing Week Meets, across SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify. And finally, that just leaves me to thank Ellen and Charlotte and you for listening.